study today on the book of Colossians, and we are looking at the second part of uh, Colossians chapter 1. We already had it read to us this morning, thank you, and uh, that uh, just sort of helps us, sets the, the tone for what we are going to be talking about. Colossians, you will remember quickly, was, uh, is a city in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it is kind of straight across from Athens, uh, across the water. So from Greece, if you go straight across into Turkey and you go inland a little bit, you would come to uh, Colossae. Uh, Paul had actually never been there. Uh, this church was established and uh, started by a man named Epaphras and those working with him. Their challenge in Colossae is not unlike a lot of what we face today as Christians, and it is something that is called syncretism. And syncretism, it's kind of from, if you think about the word to synchronize or in sync, we would say somebody, you know, two people, oh, they're in sync. And we kind of mean that they're, they're in alignment, they, they line up together well. There's a, there's a pressure, there was a pressure back in the time of the book of Colossians, and we heard a lot about this last week, and it's certainly true for us today. This pressure to sort of align with, to take the gospel, to take Christianity, and kind of make it fit in, make it sort of get along with other religions or other schools of thought, to try to synchronize it. And so you end up with this challenge that Paul was facing as he wrote to them because he knew what they were dealing with there in terms of different schools of thought and how there would be this temptation to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and try to make it fit in, make it probably more tolerable, more uh, just something that would, you would sort of, you'd feel more like sort of getting along with or getting along together. Paul was the master. He was amazing at being able to bridge with the current culture, but not synchronize with the culture. And that's what we see as we study his, his, his methods. Across the water from Colossae was this, uh, is this place in Greece called Athens. There in Athens, Paul found himself one day on Mars Hill. You can actually still go to Athens. Katie and I have been there, and we have seen exactly where this took place, where Paul was presented with the, all these idols, and he was trying to present the true God to this very intellectual and yet superstitious crowd and all their idols. And Paul does an amazing thing there, where you see a bridge, but not syncretism. What Paul does is, he says, he, as I was wandering among your gods, I found one idol that is to the unknown God. I'm going to declare that God to you. Do you realize how crazy that was? What a bridge that was? Think about the command, you shall have no other gods before me. Think about the, to, to the Jewish mind. This is like crazy. 
to take an idol and use it to start to introduce the living God. But Paul has the liberty, the freedom to do that. So he says, standing with this idol, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about this God, this unknown God. You're going, whoa, 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 that's like amazing. What is he doing? Is he trying to align with the, with, with the, the thinking of the day? Is he trying to align with that? Not for one second. If you turn, I don't have a slide on it, but if you go to Acts chapter 17, you'll find in Acts chapter 17 the quick shift. He says in verse 23 of Acts 17, For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He, gives, he himself gives life and breath to everything. Do you see what he did? He uses the bridge. He uses this idol. But then he doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, well, this God that... I'm going to tell you about, it's kind of like some of these other gods, and it's kind of like, like whatever, no, 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 no. Okay? He bridges, but then he is abundantly clear. I am telling you about the God who created everything. And he goes on to be crystal clear in his description of who God is. So, Paul takes the same approach here in the book of Colossians. So, knowing that the Colossians are faced with this challenge, Paul takes them to the person of Christ, who Jesus is. Now, I actually have heard different uh, theologians in the past tell me about this concept that if you are a bank teller, or if you are somebody that's handling, going to be handling a lot of money, that in your training... In order for you to identify something that is counterfeit, what they do is they train you on, they teach you about real money and get you really used to handling real money. And then when you come across a counterfeit, it's easier for you to identify it. I was wondering about if that was just one of these kind of, I don't know, folklore, something that just sort of, because I've never actually had a job where you handled a lot of money, so I didn't really know if that was in fact true. So I looked it up. And sure enough, there's a guy named Tim, and Tim actually had the same thought that I had, so he actually went and did some research. He actually went to the Bank of Canada uh, where they, in, in Ottawa. He's a, he's a blogger. He actually told us about doing this and actually went, and this is what he says. He learned from this person he interviewed there that when a person knows what to look for, when he has been trained, to examine the bill for particular identifying characteristics, identifying genuine from fraudulent can be done with great accuracy, even on the basis of only a small amount of training. I successfully identified each piece of counterfeit currency. What he said is this lady taught him, told him about real currency and what it's like and how it's made. Then she gave him some bills, some of which were real and some of which were counterfeit, and said, okay, tell me which is which. And he got them all right. So, Paul 
takes that approach, and that's what we're going to look at today. He basically says, there's all this trying to, to mix it up, trying to confuse you, trying to mix different thoughts and so on. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to show you the real thing. I'm going to give you the real thing, and then this is going to make it a lot easier. It's going to get clearer for you in terms of identifying what is not true. And so that's what we have before us today. I must say, in looking at this that I'm going to be speaking of today, I thought to myself as I was praying about it this morning, I've been teaching the Word of God for probably 50 years now, and I still feel totally inadequate for what I'm going to cover. So I'm just going to pause for a minute here and pray and ask God to do what only God can do in our hearts and lives as we go through this. Father, we are going to be speaking today, you know, of the person of Christ. We are going to be pondering and discussing, Father, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, there is nothing there is nothing where we feel, where I feel my inadequacy more than in tackling this subject. So, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that by your Holy Spirit you would guide my lips and that you would be at work in each of our hearts. Father, may we in a fresh way today be wowed, be enthralled, be overwhelmed with who Jesus is. We ask this in his most worthy name. Amen. We are going to look at Christ's supremacy as God, as creator, as head over everything, and as redeemer. We've already read the passage together. So I'm going to skip the next slide and go directly to where we focus first of all on verse 15. No, I have to read it. I have to read it together. Just 15. So can we go? Yeah. Uh, yes, that one. Let's just hear this again. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, 
God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So first of all, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. There's so many other verses to expand and help us with this. But try together, let's try together to grasp that in Christ we fully see a revelation of God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. We can't see God because God is spirit. But in the Lord Jesus, there is an absolute, full, and complete revelation or revealing of God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Other verses that help us with this. In Hebrews 1, verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's one verse. (laughs) That's one verse. The Lord Jesus is... He radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God. He is that revelation of God. In John 1, John says, as he tries, as he opens up, he says, in the beginning, the word, that revelation of God, that communication of God, the Lord Jesus, already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and then goes into creation again. How do we express this? How do we grasp it? I love the simplicity of John 14 and 9 where Philip says to Jesus, after they've been together for three years, Jesus says, or Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Can you imagine the feelings in Jesus as after him living with them for three years? Philip says to him, Lord, Jesus, just show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. I can see the Lord just going, and he says, Philip, I've been with you such a long time. Don't you understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What was he portraying to him? That he is an exact representation of the Father. So when you see the kindness, the love, the gentleness, the weeping, the understanding, when you see the heart of Jesus portrayed in each of the Gospels, what are you seeing? You are seeing the very heart of God. You are seeing the character of God. When Jesus weeps at the grave of Lazarus, you are seeing the heart of God. When Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, you are seeing the heart of God. 
And when Jesus hangs on Calvary's cross, and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You are seeing the heart of God. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, or firstborn. Let me explain something here. Firstborn, sometimes people get confused with firstborn, and they suggest that Jesus was created by God the Father, or that he was the first thing that, that, that God created. That is not biblical. Firstborn is a position. Firstborn is where Jesus ranks. You know in a human family, depending on culture and depending on different settings and so on, but there is a ranking of the firstborn. When the scripture speaks of Jesus as firstborn, it is his rank, it is his position. Scripture is abundantly clear in some of the things that we have already written. Jesus is the one who is the creator. Jesus is not created. He is the creator. All things were made by him and for him. So Jesus Christ is supreme over all creation, and he existed before anything was created. It's very clear. Jesus Christ always existed. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There is no beginning to the Lord Jesus. Before Abraham was, I am. The Lord Jesus is the ever-existing one. Now we move to him as creator. He is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He exists before anything else, and he holds all creation together. I want to break this down a little bit, because I think sometimes we're we're sort of, we, we say as Christians that yes, we acknowledge and, and understand that the Lord Jesus was creator. But have we grasped that he creates what you can see and what you can't see? We're amazed with Hubble to James Webb. And we, we see, wow, the amazing difference between these two telescopes and how much more we're seeing now with the James Webb telescope. Okay, That's nothing. That's the heavens are the work of his fingers. You're talking, uh, that's minor stuff. The Lord Jesus is the creator and sustainer of everything, seen and unseen. There's a whole other realm out there of kingdoms and authorities. There are those angelic beings. There are the, those that are part of what God has created that are invisible, and they are part of the creation. And then, as scripture teaches us elsewhere, we won't go into it today, but there are those that were created beings that then fell, and they became Satan and the demons that are part of those powers of darkness. They are very real. Those of us that know our Bibles and that know and follow Jesus know Jesus did not mock those. Jesus did not say they were non-existent. 
Jesus actually said, but this is your hour and the power of darkness as he moved towards the cross. Jesus recognized those powers. But bear in mind, they were all created by him and for him. I've shared it here before, but I've got to just share it again because it's one of my favorite moments in the life journey of Jesus. It's when he's entering into Jerusalem and the disciples try to get him to be amazed and to be wowed at the temple. They're looking at the building, they're looking at the walls, they're looking at the architecture, and they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, isn't that amazing? Do you realize how ludicrous that is? Think about the creator and sustainer of the universe. Think about the one that the James Webb telescope can't reach the end of, and it's the work of his fingers. And then people are saying to him, "Uh, look at this wall. Like, isn't that amazing? We've got to be awed with who Jesus is. What I also want you to, to point out here is they are created through him or by him and for him. Do you know that you are created for him? Think about that for a minute. I was thinking about it very early this morning. I was sitting there with a cup of coffee, sitting in my, on my little couch in our family room, and I was just pondering that. I am made for him. I don't know, somehow it's easier to think I'm made by him than that I'm made for him. But to actually grasp that, it then makes everything I do as I live out my life, it, it has an impact because I realize that That's my why. That's the big why for me. It's I am made for him. I am made for his glory. I am made for his pleasure. That is why I am here. That's why I exist. Pretty amazing. He existed before anything else. We've talked about that already. And he holds all creation together. There are things in science, there are those sitting in this room that know science much better than I do, but there are things in science that they still can't explain. We are actually, we think we're in this enlightened, super um, knowledgeable age. In fact, there is so little that we actually know and so much that we don't know. But what we do know from the authority of the Word of God is that it is Jesus that holds all things together by his powerful word. Let's keep going. He is head, supreme, first. Verses 18 and 19. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. For, so he is first in everything. For God, is, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Remember the counterfeit and the real. When someone tells you something that doesn't ring just right as a believer, ask yourself this question. Does what I am hearing bring Christ down at all? 
does it reduce Christ at all? If it does, it's counterfeit. The Lord Jesus is supreme. He is head over all. He is very God and very man. He is the full representation of God. So if someone says, well, Christ could have sinned, but he chose not to. Can God sin? If God can't sin, then guess what? Jesus can't sin. Because Jesus is the very character of God. He is God. He is God the Son. So test and hear and listen. And this test is amazing because what man always wants to do is bring Christ down and bring himself up. What God does is exalt Christ to the very highest place. He gives us to realize who we are and what our sin deserves. But then, when we accept Christ as our Savior, he raises us up, but in Christ. Christ is supreme. He is head over all. He is head of the church. It is his body. You and I, when we come to know and follow Jesus, we are baptized into one body. We are brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus is our head. We are now connected together. We can't go into it this morning, but it is a beautiful thing to recognize that you and I belong together. We are made to be in fellowship. We are made to be in community. We are made to, together, fulfill God's purpose for us, his plan, that reason why you and I were created. Recognize that just as each snowflake is different, so you and I are all made differently. And it is good that it is that way. Together, we are the one body of Christ. Now we go to verse 20. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Do you remember back in the story of creation and then the fall early in Genesis? You remember that it was Adam and Eve that sinned. But when they sinned, all of creation fell. You remember that death entered into the world, and so animals die, animals get sick, as well as mankind. All of creation fell through the sin of Adam and Eve. But so, dear brothers and sisters, through the death of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, all of creation comes into blessing. All of creation is reconciled. God reconciles everything to himself through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, through his death on the cross, brought us and all of creation back. And that will be lived out, that will be experienced in a day yet to come. He made peace with everything and in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So the Lord Jesus, not only is he creator, not only is he supreme over all, not only is he very God, but he is also our Redeemer.
it's mind-boggling. It seems out of place. You can, you can, you sort of can get wowed by Christ being, recognizing he is creator. You look up at that, uh, that Hubble uh, or James Webb's telescope, you see that picture and you go, oh my goodness, yes, he is a creator and that's the work of his fingers. You can understand in a measure, we can sort of start to grasp, but in fact, he is very God. You, you think about him as, as head, as supreme over everything. But now, we also recognize that it is he, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took your sins and my sins upon himself and became the sacrifice. He was the one who bought us and brought us back to God. In his death, we have life. The Lord Jesus took our sins. He made those his very own. He died for them, died for those sins, died for us so that we could be forgiven. So the Lord Jesus is our Redeemer. Ponder it. He is your creator. You are made for him. But he is also your Redeemer. And so, in verse 21, and this includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I think Andrew quoted this a couple of weeks ago um, with, uh, from Tim Keller. Um, this is just such a great uh, quote. There's, there's many from Tim Keller that are great quotes, but this is uh, just one that I really, really appreciated. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. This includes you. I love this. Maybe there's somebody here today, or somebody listening online, and you're hearing all this, and you're knowing about it as the Christian faith, as the Christian message, as what the Bible teaches, but it's, it's held in your head as something that's sort of uh, religious, or something that's, that's a, a good way to think, or a good way to, to, to live. But here, the Bible gets very, very personal. It stops being about us, it stops being plural, it stops being general, and it says, and this includes you. So I say to you today, if you do not know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then this message that I have been sharing to you today, I say it to you on the authority of the Word of God. And this includes you. This message is for you. All that the Lord Jesus is and what he did on Calvary's cross is for you. He wants you to be a part of this. He wants you to be blessed through this. And so he says, you were once far away from God. Maybe you are today. Maybe you are his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. If you're squirming a little, 
let me assure you, everybody sitting around you in this room today, all in the same boat. We were all enemies, God. We were all separated from him. Our natural thoughts go against him. Our natural thoughts do not accept this for a moment. None of us naturally understood or sought after God. None. And it is only by the grace of God that we have been able to accept his invitation and receive this. So, you were separated, and some of you may be today, but he says, and he explains this to us now, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. So, what has happened? For those of us that know Christ as our Savior, we have been reconciled, brought back to God, and that happened through the physical death of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago. On a Friday in Jerusalem, or just outside of Jerusalem, when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross. It was, this is not just something spiritual and mystical. The Lord Jesus Christ died a physical death. He had a physical body. He died a physical death on Calvary's cross. And it is through that death and through his physical blood that was shed on that cross that you and I can have our sins forgiven. That's the gospel. That's where the all of creation and everything we can see from the James Webb telescope comes to the reality of our human condition, where we are right here, and our need to have Jesus as our Savior. Through his physical body, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and this is what happens. Remember James, the uh, quote from Timothy Keller? But more accepted in love than you ever dared hope. So, now I say, to those that are, don't know Jesus, here is, the off, here is the offer that God extends to you because of Jesus' physical death on Calvary's cross. He is the substitute. He is the one who redeems. He is the one that pays the price to for our sins to be forgiven. And this forgiveness is a complete, 100% forgiveness. Every one of us as Christians need to read this verse every day. Why? Because I think we don't grasp this enough. He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Brothers and sisters, those of us that know and follow Jesus, do you realize that? Do you grasp that? Do we live in the, in the good of that every day? God looks at you and sees you without a single fault. You don't look at me and not see a single fault. I know that. Anybody that knows me, if you, don't, if you doubt that, ask Katie. We, we look at each other and we see the faults. But God looks at you and he doesn't see a single fault. Isn't that amazing? That is the work of the cross. That's what our Redeemer has done. So to you that may not have accepted Christ as your Savior yet, here is the off offer. Right now, God looks at you if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, and he sees you in all your sins. 
the whole record of what you have done in your rebellion and your natural tendencies, your evil thoughts and your actions. He sees all of that. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, his blood shed on Calvary's cross washes those sins away. And when God looks at you after you have received Christ as your Savior, he looks at you and he sees you as blameless. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as holy. And you say, but wait a second. I still struggle with this. I've still got this. I still, I had a bad thought just this morning coming to church. What? He sees you as holy. I'm taking the word of God. Holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. It's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It doesn't mean he's not still working on us. He's still working on us to make us what we ought to be. But you and I, our standing before God is holy and without fault because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Finally, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Brothers and sisters, there is a tendency for us to synchronize with the world. There is a tendency for us, as we start reading the Word of God a little less, and we start listening to everything, all the voices that we hear a little more, for us to start, start to, it, it, it sort of gets a little vague. The fog starts to creep in, and we start to listen to all the other voices and all the other pressures. And this starts to get foggy and unclear. We need to stand firm. As you hear it this morning, if you know and follow Jesus, you know what I'm saying is true. As we, as we read the word of God and as we hear it together, as we think about the Lord Jesus and who he is, our hearts go, yes, that is our, that's my savior. But then it starts to get foggy on Monday. So the Apostle Paul says to us, by the Spirit of God, you must continue to believe this truth, stand firmly in it, don't drift away. And I would suggest that the way we do this is to preach it to each other. I'm preaching it this morning. Brothers and sisters, we need to preach it to each other. And you know what I mean by that. One-on-one, -on -one, sharing it, encouraging each other, just building each other up in all the different ways that we can. In order to do that, we need to be together. Brothers and sisters, we need that fellowship. We need to be with each other in community. We build and grow, and we encourage one another. We provoke each other to love. So this good news, we need to make sure we don't drift away from it. So let's stand together. By the way, this good news is being preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I love that. I would just say to you, brothers and sisters, by God's grace, I get to travel to different parts of the world in my work with Youth for Christ, and I get to see what God is doing in different places around the globe. And as I am, whether it's on Zoom calls or whether I'm physically there, as I see what God is doing, I just want to encourage you that this gospel what you have heard this morning, it is being preached all over the world, and millions of people are coming into the kingdom of God. It is so exciting, it is so amazing, and when you see the before and after, 
you see what happens when someone becomes a new person in Christ Jesus. It is indeed a thrilling thing. So be wowed today at who Jesus is. Stand in awe of him. Worship him. And together then, let's go out and serve our risen Savior. You are made by him, and you are made for him. You are blameless in his sight. He is your redeemer, and you have this message to tell. Don't try to synchronize it with the other messages out there. Build all the bridges you can so that you can tell the message. But when you get to telling the message, tell it clearly. God bless. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that the Lord Jesus is God. That he is supreme over all. That there is no place too high for him. Father, we marvel. We thank you. We know, Lord Jesus, that somehow we are being made more like you as we follow you. We'll get to that passage, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is so amazing, Father, what you are doing. But we thank you that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, our standing today as those that know and follow Jesus is that we are holy and blameless in your sight. Father, may we grasp that today and then go out and tell our world. And Father, my prayer today for those that may not have yet known Jesus, that today as they hear who Jesus is, that they would worship him and receive him as their own Lord and Savior. So we thank you, we love you, Father, and we ask that you would give us the courage and the grace to proclaim this message boldly to each other and to our lost world this week.